0: I well, am speaking with some of you today about whether or not this congregation was familiar with the life and ministry of Dr. Bill Woods. Uh, Dr. Woods uh, was a, a longtime missionary to Brazil, and he spent many, many years there, not only as a doctor, but also as an evangelist and, a, and one who preached the gospel there and saw great work done. And many in our denomination had a view of Dr. Woods, and and in some ways rightly so, of him being a great man and one who was greatly gifted by the Lord to accomplish a work that either no one else could do, but definitely no one else was willing to do. You see, when Dr. Woods was a young man, as a teen, late teen in in Northern Ireland, he went on a a mission trip to Brazil. And while he was there, uh, he went deep into the jungles and met the people that they were ministering to. And while he was there, there was a boy who was bitten by a venomous serpent, venomous snake. The problem with being in the Amazon is that they only have select days where they get supplies that are brought in. There's not a, a, a hospital or some kind of medical facility they can go and get anti-venom for this type of bite. And the plane that brings and leaves with the supplies left the Amazon area just the day before. And so when this boy was bit by this snake, everyone in the village and everyone on Dr. Woods' team knew that it was going to be terminal. And so they did their best to try to to comfort the young boy. And Dr. Dr. Woods came and sat down next to him. And he said to him, I want to pray with you. And he said, the boy looked up into his eyes and said, I don't want you to pray for me. I want you to do something for me. And he said, those words hit him like a lightning bolt, just hit him right between the eyes. And it was at that moment that he realized that Not only was there a great need to preach the gospel, but these people had great needs that needed to be met as well. And so the boy died, and their short term ended. And when Dr. Woods went back to Northern Ireland, he was convinced that the Lord was calling him to go back to study, to become a doctor, or get whatever medical certification he needed, certification he needed in order to practice medicine Uh, in the Amazon. And so Dr. Woods went back to school. He was a terrible student. His own testimony was in grade school. He practically flunked out. He was a terrible student, but he felt the burden of the Lord in such a way that he knew that the Lord was calling him to do this. So he went back to school and actually graduated with a degree in medicine and then went back to the Amazon to minister among those people. And he almost single-handedly was responsible over the the many years that he was there laboring. He was almost single-handedly responsible for the eradication of leprosy. Uh, It's not exactly the same kind of leprosy that you find in the scriptures, but uh, it's it's a common disease that deteriorates the skin and often leaves either the people uh, incapacitated or even often takes their lives because of infection. Dr. Woods almost single-handedly was responsible for the eradication of leprosy in Brazil. So much so that a few months ago when he passed away, the president of Brazil declared a national day of mourning and made a statement concerning the ministry and life and labors of Dr. Bill Woods. Dr. Bill Woods affected that nation, not only in the field of medicine, but also in the field of preaching the gospel because of the words that that boy spoke to him. I want you to do something. Two books have been written about his life. One is called The Angel of the Amazon. Uh, it's available uh, through uh, our church. You can, we may even have a copy here. Uh, the other one bears the title, the title bears the, the the words that the boy spoke to him. Just the title of the book is, I want you to do something. And so the more I, I thought about that and thought about the the condition of evangelicalism as a whole in the in the United States and in Canada, uh, I, I, those words uh, kept ringing in my mind. So, a few weeks ago, I was asked to do the Sunday school class in Malvern, and I woke up Sunday morning. And I was intended to speak on something else, and I woke up early. I'm, always, I'm, I'm an early riser, and I was just so, my mind was so taken up with those words that I wrote down a few points uh, on Sunday morning and went and did the Sunday school class. And when I was delivering it, I really felt that this challenge is a challenge that needs to be brought to uh, the church as a whole, but also in our own denomination. Uh, we, I've been in the denomination, as I said earlier, for 30 years. And you see the good, the bad, and the ugly uh, in a denomination after 30 years. And sometimes, just in my own observation, I've found that people come... And people go. Very often, when people leave a church, it's because they're either disgruntled or discouraged or some something has gotten them to the place where uh, they feel as if the, the grass is greener somewhere else. And I found over the years that I've been in our denomination that the ones who do the most complaining and the ones who are the, who are the most discouraged often are the ones who are doing the least. The ones who are serving, in some capacity, whatever it may be. We read tonight from Ephesians chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul says, to every one of us is given grace according to the measure of Christ. To every one of us is given grace to serve in some way in the work of the Lord. And I believe that the two uh, the two emotions that I... I'm and, and talking about happiness and zeal in serving the Lord and discouragement and, dis- and depression often are associated with either the service or lack thereof in the people of God. Christ, when he came into the world, came into the world in his own words, not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And so I see a connection between those that are happy ...in the denomination, not saying that they're happy with everything that's going on... ...but they are content, they are serving the Lord... ...and they they come to the Lord's house expecting to hear a word. Often, those are the ones that are laboring, doing something for the Lord. And so, as we are considering this theme tonight, to do something for the Lord... ...I thought of this passage in Mark chapter 14, the passage that we read... And again, we're not going to, to deal with this as a con- text in context. But I felt that this passage was uh, applicable. Because here you have a woman in, uh, in Bethany. She comes to Bethany where the Lord is. And she breaks this alabaster box of ointment and anoints the head of Christ. And those that were there were frustrated. They were, they were, they were annoyed. Uh, the word murmured is used. They murmured against her because it could have been given to the poor. Uh, It's interesting that the great comments that the Lord makes in a few verses down uh, is contrasted with how those individuals viewed it when they used the word waste, right? Why was this waste of the ointment made? Let me just say, if that ointment was used for anything else, it would have been a waste, That ointment was used to anoint the the Messiah, the Son of God, against the day of His burial. That ointment is still being talked about to this day. So their view was pouring or anointing the body of Christ is a waste. And I say that it, it couldn't have been used for anything better. No other ointment that was made during those days exists or is even talked about the way that this ointment is. If ever ointment received a a good report, and if ever ointment has gone down in the annals of history as being properly used, it's this ointment. And it was ointment that went on the body of Christ. Her labor and her service to the body of Christ is still being talked about, and Christ himself says it will be talked about wherever this gospel is preached but I want you to focus on verse 8. Verse 8 says, "Concerning this woman, she hath done what she could." She hath done what she could. And that's what I want to leave with you tonight, just three simple points I told the people in Malvern. I've never preached a message like this because my points are one word, right? They're just one word per point. And I said, "I'm not even smart enough to alliterate," right? I sat around, and I thought, how can I come up with another H that fits so I can alliterate all three points and I said, ah, forget it. I'm not that kind of, I'm not smart enough so I just, I, got, I don't got time for this. So maybe you'll remember it better since the one point isn't alliterated. Right? Sometimes if something is abnormal, it stands out. Maybe you'll remember all three points since they don't all start with H. But the three things that I want to leave with you, following the pattern of this woman, maybe you ask yourself tonight, what can I do? What is it that I can do? I'm not gifted. I don't don't have a burden to preach or fill the pulpit. I don't have a, a burden to evangelize or go on the mission field. What is it that the Lord wants me to do in the same way that this woman did what she could? What is it that we all can do to, as it were, fulfill that challenge that Dr. Bill Woods left with us? Do something for me. I want you to do something for me. What can you do for Christ? Three things. You can pray, you can help, and you can hope. Those are the three things that every one of us gathered here tonight can do in in service to the body of Christ. So first of all, we can pray. First of all, you can pray for your church. You can pray for your church. Specifically, in this congregation, pray that the Lord will send you a minister. It's not... It's not the design of Christ to have a, church, a congregation without a minister. We read from Ephesians chapter four. Turn back to that. I just want you to see it. I preached on this not too long ago here. I, I don't know I don't know when it was. It may have been before COVID. Um, well, it had to have been because the last time I was here in, in October was the first time since COVID. So it was right before COVID. I preached on this passage. And talked about the gifts that are given to the church. But in this passage that we read in verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. If you're in the body of Christ, it's not. The question is not whether or not I have been given some form of grace by the Lord to minister to the body. Every one of us has been given grace according to the way that the Lord designed to give that grace. Some give, a, uh, give grace for, uh, to be an elder. Some give grace to someone else to minister to the elderly. Some, some, some are given grace to to do a, a children's work. But unto every one of us is given grace. Not one of us is, 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 is exempted from this. It's just another reminder to us that the Lord does not gift his people for them not to be serving. There's no point in Christ giving grace to his people and them not do something for Christ. It's it's intended to be a ministry to the body. And not one of us is exempted, but unto every one of us is given this grace. But the, the part I want you to see is at the end, This is actually connected to the work of Christ. In in, in verse 8, wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. And then in verse 11, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And this is the point I want you to see. In your prayers for the church, this is the design that is intended for a congregation and for his body. That he gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. That last office is one office, the pastor-teacher. It's saying that the pa- this person is a pastor and teacher. Okay, not two separate uh, offices. But these are the gifts that Christ has given to His church by virtue of His being made, as we saw this morning, being set forth as that heir, as being given that position. Of authority and power. And, and when he ascended up on high. And is seated at God's right hand. And according to 1 Corinthians 15. Is now ruling and reigning. Until all enemies are put under his feet. One of the indications. That he is ruling and reigning is in his church. Is that he gives pastors and teachers. Pastor teacher. And so I say that. Every one of us. Could be and should be praying. For the Lord to send the right man to this place, not simply because it's just not the same without a pastor, but on the basis of Christ's finished work. Bring this prayer back to the Lord and say, Lord, I read in my Bible that one of the things that's promised to thy people by virtue of Christ being at thy right hand is the pastor teacher. Pray bringing God's promise back to him. That's what every one of you can do. You may not be called to do some great work, but I think you'll, you'll see that in the body of Christ, this is a great work. The labor, the laborer in prayer, praying for the will of God to be accomplished, not just so that, that you can say, Well, we, we have a minister, that's great. That's not always the answer. Sometimes getting a minister is not the answer, and then you end up having to get another minister. That, that we've all been through that. Pray that the Lord will give a minister that will exalt the work of Christ because it's connected to His intercessory work. It's connected to His work. Pray for the glory of Christ that He gives you a minister. Because it, it doesn't. it's not the divinely appointed way for a congregation to not have a pastor. When you live in an age of a shortage of pastors... You're you're living in an age where God's people, first and foremost, should be on their faces praying that God would give pastors because it's connected to Christ's work. Every one of us can do that. So you can pray for your your church that that he'll send you the right man. You can pray for each other, right? You can pray for each other. James 5, 16, brethren, pray one for another. Then he goes on to say, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Pray for one another. Okay, so you can pray for your church, pray for one another, and then pray for the unsaved. These are three ways that every one of every member of the body of Christ can be doing something for the Lord. Paul had a great burden for the unsaved. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Right? He had a burden for Israel. He was bringing it before the Lord. His burden and his heart's desire was that that the Lord would save them. So you can pray for the the church. You can pray for each other. And you can pray for the unsaved. That's what every one of us can be doing. The second thing every one of us can be involved with in doing something for Christ is help. Help your church, first of all. Help your church. The Apostle Paul talked about the, the blessing that the Philippians were to him in the ministry. In Philippians chapter four, verse sixteen, where the 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 gift that they gave him, the financial gift, uh, the apostle said that once and again you have ministered to my needs, and then he followed it up by saying, not that in a sense it was dependent on that the Lord would provide his needs in some other way, and then he says, I've learned how to be abased and abound. Uh, you know, I've, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the the beginning of that whole section, but. The Lord would have raised up another means to meet his needs. But Paul mentions in that passage that he was thrilled that they gave for the blessing that they enjoyed. Because the Lord blessed them as they were involved in his ministry. And as they sought for ways, they sent once and again to try to minister to the needs of the Apostle Paul. Have an eye to service That was financial service. There's other ways that the church needs help. And look for ways, even in small ways. And and serve with the understanding that, does the Lord need your service? No, he'll, He'll raise up someone else if you don't serve. But the thought that you can be part of the building of the church. That you can be part, even in some small way, to the to the edifying of the body of Christ. I think the older that you get and the longer you're you're going on in life, you'll begin to realize that there is nothing that thrills the heart more than to know that the work of Christ as He is interceding before the Father is continuing here on earth and that you and I are a part of that. You and I are a part of that. So help. You can help in your church as the Apostle was encouraged that the Philippians did. But... Again, sticking with the same form of outline that we had under "Pray," you can help your church. You can help each other. You can help each other. Now, this was a, a part of the message, and I hope I can read this because I had I goofed up. I didn't. <laughs> I, taught, I When I first print, wrote out the notes to this, I literally like scribbled them on a piece of paper. And when I, I came here, I was intending to preach on this when I got here. And so I just left and came here. And I, I just, for some reason, assumed that this was like every other message I preached, where I typed it out on my laptop. And when I got here, I realized, well, I don't have the handwritten notes that I preached this from. They're still at home. I said, well, that's okay, because I preached it in Orlando. I'll just go to Sermon Audio and listen to my own message and write down the notes. So well, I go to Sermon Audio, and there's one of the two messages I preached last week that was not uploaded. <laughs> and they said they had some kind of audio problem, so I was stuck. I'm like, well, how do I get these notes? So I asked my wife, can you just like take a picture of them with your phone and send them to me? So um, my handwriting is questionable to begin with, but now I had to like take this picture and blow it up and print it up. So hopefully I get all these these, uh, these references correct. But I, w- I was encouraged when I started to look through the Scriptures in, in, in the New Testament alone, in the New Testament, at the term one another in reference to God's people. And the amazing thing, okay, I've, I've been involved in pulpit supply for years now, and you prepare messages and you're used to doing word studies but this blew me away, okay? In reference to our relating to one another, and, and it actually uses those words, to one another, there are 19 different action words that are, that's a, that are applied to that phrase, one another. All these different commands that the Lord gives us as to how to relate to the body, to one another. 19. 19. I was like, I don't, I don't know anything even remotely close to that. Like, it, it is an unbelievable uh, emphasis on, at the, at the least, the need for interaction with one another. If you're living the Christian life and you don't fellowship with God's people, the Lord tells you 19 different ways you're supposed to be doing something with one another, right? There should be a love that's the one thing I I can say that that was different about the Free Church when I started to attend. I actually wanted to be with the people in this denomination. When I came into the Free Church it was it was unlike any any denomination I'd been in. Now a lot of that does have to do with the 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 makeup of the people, right? We it was a special time when I first came into the denomination had had good families, and it was a great spirit. And that affects kind of the way you view things, whether for good or bad, from that, po- from that time forth. Uh, it could have been the most ideal situation that I was brought in. And then you expect that that's always going to be the way it is. Well, that's not always the case. But whether you had that overwhelming desire to be with God's people or not, you cannot escape the 19 different action words that are put to this term, one another. Some are in the negative, right? Don't do this to one another. And then others are positive. And I'm just going to read them to you. Um, If you want to write down the verses, you can. But just listen to the the variety of words that the Lord uses to describe how we are to relate to one another. (laughs) In John 13, verse 14, it's the passage where the Lord washes the disciples' feet, and He tells us to wash one another's feet. There's the term one another, to wash one another's feet. Obviously, uh, walking in humility with each other. Later in that chapter, we're told to love one another. Now, some of these are found multiple times in in the New Testament, but I'm just going to deal with one reference for each of of the terms. Romans chapter 12, verse 10, we're told to prefer one another, preferring one another. Later in that chapter, chapter 14, verse 13, don't judge one another. Chapter 15, verse 7, receive one another. Chapter 15, verse 11, admonish one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 20, greet one another. Galatians 5, 13, serve one another. Later in that chapter, verse 15, don't devour one another. Galatians 5, 26, don't provoke one another. Later in that chapter, in verse 11, don't envy one another. Galatians 6, verse 2, bear one another's burdens. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, forbearing one another. Chapter 4, verse 32, forgiving one another. 1 Thessalonians 4, 18, comfort one another. Chapter 5, verse 11 of 1 Thessalonians, edify one another. Titus chapter 3, verse 3, don't hate or hate not one another. And then Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, exhort one another. And then there's another one that's used about praying for one another. It originally didn't come up as a, as a phrase because it says pray one for another. So it didn't come up under my word search. But as I was preparing this, I saw in my own notes, I was like, oh, there's another one right there that is from James to pray. Nineteen. Nineteen different words. Now, however you may take this as a word from the Lord, at the least, you can say the Lord expects you to be doing something with each other. The Lord expects fellowship. And I would even go so far as to argue that that fellowship should be increasing the longer you're in the body. It always troubles me when people have less fellowship, the closer they get to glory, the closer they get to perfect fellowship, They fellowship less and less. I quoted uh, A.W. Pink earlier today, and I probably talked about Pink before, but at the end of his life, he had practically gotten so pessimistic and so discouraged about the work of Christ that Dr. Cairns told us that he, at the end of his life, felt that there were only two saved people on the the planet, and sometimes he wondered about his wife. That's where he got to. So early in his ministry, you read the massive commentary he wrote on on Hebrews, and I've never read a commentary like it. It's very rare that you pick a commentary up off the shelves in order to read it devotionally, right? Such was the, the, the way that he expounded the comment, the, the epistle to the Hebrews. And he wrote many books: gleanings from the life of David, gleanings from some of these Old Testament giants. Just great devotional books. But his fellowship went backwards, right? He backslid in regards to fellowship to the point, now this is amazing, this is an amazing point, to the point that he ended up spending his last days on the Isle of Lewis in the late 40s and early 50s in the middle, in the middle of one of the greatest works of God in revival and awakening blessing that the English-speaking world saw in the 20th century and he wanted nothing to do with it. He wanted nothing to do with it. And I say, when you consider that, there's something that's not right in the life of a believer, generally, if they have that view. But for someone who was a giant in the faith, I mean, we're talking a man whose sound, his doctrine was exactly lined up with the most solid reformers, and he and he would write in such a way that was so practical, blessing millions, millions of God's people in his writings. And at the end of his life, died in his house with his door shut. That's not what I find. What I find is we are to seek opportunities to minister one to another. And getting back to what I said early in the message, I'm convinced. I'm convinced if you simply take these 19 references and pray over them, You won't be at that place where you're so bitter and so frustrated in the work of the Lord that you just want to walk away from Christ's work. Even just praying one for another. I've been there. I've been there where I've been so annoyed at someone that I just, well, the old flesh rises up and you you start thinking, if it was just me and him in this room, it would be a different story. But, and that's just the way you think sometimes, getting frustrated in the Lord's work. But I learned over time that when I feel that way toward people, whether for good or bad, sometimes those feelings of of indignation are right because things are out of order and, and people are way out of line and they have to be dealt with. But other times they're not. But I found this much. Anytime I felt that way, the one thing that I always come back to is I'm not praying for the person. I'm not praying for them. You cannot feel that way about anybody and Be honest before the Lord that you're actually praying for their spiritual well-being. Every time I've gotten into trouble with someone and I ran my mouth, it was because I wasn't praying for that person. You know, you get offended, the dander gets up, and you kind of draw the line in your mind, and it's like, you know, I'm going to see this through, and I'm going to... And I learned by experience, because it happened again with someone else, and I heard a message, I heard a message... About the, the it was it was actually it was, I think it was Armin that was and I don't remember what the passage was, but in that in that message, he was he talked about praying for those that despitefully use you and persecute you. Okay? And that's not even talking about a saint, that's talking about someone that's ungodly. And the Lord is, is saying, Blessed are ye when this takes place. And it hit me like I didn't even know where he was going with that. The only thing I took from the Lord was if I'm supposed to be praying for the ungodly who are despitefully using me and persecuting me, why am I not praying for a brother in Christ that I'm at odds with? Like that's that's, that's basic knowledge, right? You should be praying for him. And it dawned on me that I would probably would not be feeling this way about him or her. If I was praying for them. And so I started to pray for this person. <laughs> and it it completely changed how I related to the person. Next time they came to our, our congregation, shook their hand, met them at the door, talked with them. It, it's like everything completely changed. Because you cannot be bitter and be praying before the Lord for their well-being. It's impossible. Either your prayers are fake or it's just impossible. The two can't dwell together. And I've personally experienced, I've experienced problems that arose because I let it go all the way to the end and and things blew up. And I've, I've experienced the other where there was tension and I began to pray for that person and the Lord took the sword right out of my hand. And so I learned a lesson that day is that if we pray for one another... Earnestly before the Lord, it takes, away, it takes away that anger and that division that often splits the body. So pray for your church, pray for each other, and then, uh, or I'm sorry, help it, the ministry, help uh, each other, and then help the unsaved. There are ministries, Bill Woods helped the unsaved. That's what the burden that really hit him was he couldn't help this guy who was dying, this little kid. And so he went back, not only to bring the gospel, but to help them in in whatever tangible way he could. And even in those ways, look for opportunities to deal with the unsaved. Sometimes a meal, a card, some act of kindness to those that are unsaved opens the opportunity for them to realize these people are way different than anyone else I know. And it opens the door for the opportunity to witness. So every one of us can be doing that the lord gives according to the measure of grace but this is grace that he can give to any one of us if we if we try to seek for opportunities to to labor so pray and help and then the last thing is hope and this is where it's more of a a personal thing pray and hope that the best is yet to be we dealt a little bit today with christ uh being given this position raised to this position of heir. the the authority being given to him. And on that basis, he was raised from the dead. Peter says that in, in Acts chapter 2. God has raised him from the dead. God gave him the seat at his own right hand. And at that place, at his own right hand, he now rules and reigns. Christ said before he ascended to heaven, all power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. So if this was something that was determined in the foreknowledge and forecounsel of God and has taken place In time, and now Christ is at the right hand of God, and He has all power given to Him, and He's actively putting down all of His enemies. How can the best not be yet to be for God's people? It it can only be the best, regardless of what we think is going on in the world. That's if we believe what the scripture says. Now, if you don't believe that Christ has all power given to Him, I've heard some strange things in theology. I've heard that the power in this world is given to Satan, and that Christ will take it from Satan. When he comes again to set up his kingdom. Okay? Whether, the, whether you believe in a millennium or not. I can say this much. That's nonsense. That view is nonsense. The devil does not have the authority in this world. Christ has the authority right now. And he is actively putting down his enemies. You and I may look at it and say. Well if I was in that situation. I would put down this enemy. Or put down that enemy. It's not up to us. To dictate to the one who has been given all power and all authority as to how best put down his enemies. The scripture says he's doing it. And he will continue to do it until the last enemy is put down, which is death. He's going to conquer death for every one of us. Now how can the best not be yet to be? We have a a glorious, bright future ahead of us. If all we experience on this side of glory is a veil of tears... There's still no people that have a better prospect than God's people. And so keep that in mind. This is how you can do something for the Lord. Be that kind of an encouragement to the body of Christ. Don't be the Debbie Downer that says, Woe is us, we're living in dark days, and the church is going to retreat into a corner never never to be seen again. That's not what I read. It may be what I think I see, but that's not what I read. So what it comes down to is are we going to accept the word of God or are we going to go by what we see and what we feel? The two on the road to Emmaus went by what they saw and what they felt. It wasn't until Christ came alongside of them and reminded them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself, that their own testimony was that their hearts burned within them and they were changed men. Maybe how we see things in the world isn't right. Let's start by Examining what Christ says about himself and what the Bible says about Christ now. He's actively reigning with all power and all authority that's been given, given to him. And he's putting all enemies under his feet. And then uh, we can hope for the, the ultimate fulfillment of all the promises. We've been giving exceeding great and precious promises. Promises of new body. Promises of a new heaven and new earth. The future is bright. The, the future is not brighter for any other people on this planet than God's people. And as Dr. Paisley always used to say, the best is yet to be, praise the Lord. I believe that. I believe that. And I need to remind myself of that. I need to, like Paul says, the same way that we're to reckon ourselves to be dead to sin, we may not feel like we're dead to sin, but because of the gospel, you have to condition your mind to realize that sometimes the, the way I feel about myself is not how God views me, right? So Paul encouraged them, reckon yourself to be dead to sin but alive unto God through Christ. Well, we almost have to reckon the promises as having already been fulfilled because what you see in the world does not reflect how we view things, the way we're viewing it. it doesn't reflect what the Scripture says, but the Scripture tells us Christ is ruling and reigning. The scripture says that this body will be made uh, and conformed like unto His glorious body. The scripture says that this corrupt earth is going to be transformed in 2 Peter chapter 3. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And on that day, when we see the final promises fulfilled and we're with Christ forever upon the new earth, then you're going to realize by experience that the best was yet to be. And it's going to be that way for all eternity. And so do something. This is what we can do. We can pray, we can help, and we can hope. I trust the Lord will bless the preaching of his word tonight, and, and use it as an encouragement for us. Especially those references of, of toward one another. I have to constantly remind myself of this. Sometimes it's you can almost feel the tension. Like it's the flesh. The, Paul says he has another law in his members that wars against the law of his mind. Like sometimes you can feel that law, that power of the flesh just... Does not want to try to reconcile with someone, or does not just. It, it's easier for me to just ignore them. That's not the, the that's not the Lord's way. That's not the Lord's way. So I trust that these thoughts will encourage us in the work of the Lord in these days. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we are thankful tonight for. This reminder from thy word that there is always something that we can do for thee. Even as the woman that anointed the head of Christ, she hath done what she could. Help us to do what we can. She had a box of alabaster box of ointment, so she used it for thine honor and thy glory. We pray that what we've been gifted with, we would be willing to use for thine honor and thy glory. Sometimes it may be time. Many of us have time. May we use that time for thine honor and glory, finances, uh, abilities, talents, whatever it may be. However the Lord has blessed us, may we seek opportunity to use it for the furtherance of his glory. And so, Father, uh, go with us tonight. Write thy word upon uh, upon the hearts of thy people. And we pray that our, our minds would continue to think great thoughts of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to conclude the service by singing hymn number 503, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. And we'll stand together as we sing all those verses.